Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This program is brought to you weekly by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. Stay tuned for today's message. Welcome, my listening friends, to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. It's Joe Nettles again. I'm welcoming you, inviting you to Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, near Caledonia, Mississippi, in the Bartahatchee community. And also invite you to Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church. She is pastored by my good friend and partner in this ministry, Elder David Wise. They're located at 11 Staten Road, just off Highway 15, just north of Ackerman. So come and join us 10.30 a.m. any Sunday morning that you can. Uh, We invite you to join us at 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening on the grounds of New Covenant Church located at 200 West Garrett Road in Starkville, Mississippi. We have an abbreviated service and some fellowship every Wednesday night, and we would love to have you come and join us. We invite you to go to our website, gospel-of-grace.com. And please, while you're there, please send us an email. The links are there. Addresses are there. Let us know that you're listening. We would certainly love to hear from you. It would be a great, great encouragement to know that we are reaching folks out there. We also would encourage you to go to the Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church Facebook page, hit like, and activate the notifications. And anytime that we live stream a service, you'll be notified. We live stream all of our Sunday morning services and every Wednesday evening service at the Starkville Primitive Baptist Fellowship that we just mentioned. So we invite you to partake in that live streaming if you're unable to come and visit us in person. But we certainly would love to shake your hand and give you a hearty, charitable welcome. Speaking of charity, uh, we are in a series regarding charity from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And after this morning's hymn, we'll be right back with today's installment of this series on charity.
Thank you, listening friends, for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel of Grace Radio Broadcast. And again, I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I'm turned in my King James Translation Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As we tried to introduce last time I was with you on this radio opportunity, we are trying to give an expositional reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you're familiar with Scripture and the study of Scripture, then you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 focuses greatly on charity. That word charity is the English translation from the Greek word agape, which means love in action or sacrificial type love in action. And Paul here is writing the church at Corinth and he's telling them of a better way than just mystical signs that they had and enjoyed uh, copiously in the church in its infant days. He's saying that there is something better than speaking in tongues, than being able to take poison and it not kill you. Uh, wonderful things uh, that uh, we have in store for us in the church of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the greatest of these is charity. So we begin reading again for context's sake, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now we see here the overall message of the Apostle Paul in these first three verses, as we tried to point out for you in our last installment on this series, the Apostle Paul is teaching, uh, in other words, that without charity, there is no power or profit in what you speak, what you manifest, or what you work. So we see that charity is the most important motive, because if you have a love for the Lord, you have a charitable motive. You have love in your hearts. In 1 John chapter 4, we're told that God is love. We're told that the workings of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that the greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than what Jesus Christ has shown unto us. And now we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. And here he's going to give us a statement-by-statement statement explanation about what true love actually is. So I just love how the Bible is a plenary uh, supply for all those who trust Jesus Christ in faith. We can go to the Word of God and we can find broken down for us every single thing that we need. The Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect truly furnished unto every and all good works. So if there's something good you want to do and you're wondering how to do it, well, you go to the Word of God and it will teach you in specific and it also teach you through examples of the saints who've gone on before. So now 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, here he says, First, charity suffereth long and is kind. I read it again from 1 Corinthians 13, 4a. Charity suffereth long and and is kind. Possibly no other statement regarding love in the Holy Scripture displays how otherworldly love actually is than this. From this description, we see that love carries with it 
some measure of discomfort to our human natures. I mean, after all, how much more removed from the human nature can you get than to patiently suffer, patiently endure those who aggravate us, resist us, or annoy us? I mean, we know that is the context, right? Because of it being coupled in the verse with the concept of kindness. After all, it requires no suffering at all, no long-suffering, no patience to return kindness to those who are kind to us, does it? Jesus stated as much in Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 33. For if ye love them which love you, and that's easy, right? Loving those who love us. He says, for if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? And that, what he's saying there is, why is that thank worthy? Uh, I mean, we should love those who love us, absolutely. But is that the most thankworthy expression of love? Absolutely not. He said, for sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. He's, you know, he states very plainly there that the way that normal, unregenerated, unborn again, non-Christ-loving people ap operate in this world, oh, they may be courteous to one another. They may express to each other that phileo or that brotherly love one to another, but they'll only do it when it's convenient for them. And they'll only requite that love when it is first given unto them. But you see, true agape Christian love is, it's long-suffering. Charity suffereth long and is kind. So, but to that point, we see from this command to kindness that just simply enduring such people by, you know, leaving them alone. I mean, they're getting on my nerves. I'm just going to leave them alone. I'm going to separate myself from their vitriol, their annoyances. They're just getting on my nerves. And I think the best thing for me to do is just draw back, hide from them, don't have anything to do with them. See, that, that doesn't really meet the standard according to this verse, does it? Why? Because we are also enjoined to kindness, not just long-suffering, not just hunkering down in the corner and saying, I'm going to sit here sucking my thumb until they go. No, we are enjoined, Christian-believing listener today. We are encouraged and commanded to kindness, not just long-suffering, but kind long-suffering. You see, kindness requires you to engage with people. I mean, that's what our great exemplar, our wonderful example, Jesus Christ, did for us. I mean, he didn't simply just leave us in our condemnation, and we were worthy of our condemnation. We fell in Adam, and then we've all born and conceived in sin and then lived willingly in that sin all of our days without a second thought of it until the Lord dealt with our hearts. He didn't just leave us in that condemnation. The condemnation that we were in wasn't his fault. He was under no obligation, but yet he obligated himself, okay? He didn't leave us in our condemnation. He took it upon himself. Neither did he redeem us for eternity, which he could have done. I mean, Jesus Christ could have come and paid the sin debt, shed the blood. Uh, the Holy Spirit is sovereign, according to the Lord's instructions to Nicodemus, the wind bloweth where it listeth. That means the Lord sends the Holy Spirit and it's, uh, regenerating power. It's power to make people born again where God sends it. He doesn't need man's permission. Uh, who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counselor? Certainly not me. When I was born again, I wasn't begging to be born again. I wasn't craving to be born again. I was happy in the flesh and where I was. But yet the Lord kindly 
in a dynamic way, sent the Spirit into my heart and changed me. He engaged with me. He didn't just leave me in my condemnation. He, he also didn't just come and bleed and suffer and die as my representative and then leave me wallowing in sin and misery uh, on this earth, not knowing anything about it until he returned. No, he, my friends, he interposes himself. He didn't only do it 2,000 years ago on the tree of the cross. He interposes himself in every aspect of our lives, even in spite of our oftentimes annoying behavior and rebellions against him. Somebody say, I, I don't think I ever aggravate the Lord. I don't think I ever rebel against him. Well, then you're a much better person than I am, listening friend, I can tell you. If that is so, keep up the good work. But I would venture to say that's a little disingenuous because whenever our minds and hearts stray away from the truth and get filled with doubts and fears, oh, to some extent, my friends, that is annoying to the Lord and it certainly is indicative of that natural rebellious nature within us. So we need to be careful before we speak too much, right? Notice, uh, speaking to this uh, concept where the Lord didn't just redeem us and then leave us alone, but no, he is ever-present, ever-active in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, making himself known unto his born-again children. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we read, Even when we were dead in sins, there's, what is he saying there? He said, there was a time when you were totally fallen in sin, totally depraved, no desire unto God, uh, no uh, ability to reach unto him and no desire to reach unto him if you could reach unto him. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. See, that's God doing all the work of saving you for eternal glory. See, you were dead in sins. You weren't craving, you weren't asking, you weren't filling out an application, you weren't inviting the Lord into your heart. Uh, you weren't loving what the preacher was preaching. No, you were dead in sins. Dead has no life. Dead is separation. You were completely separated from all fellowship and uh, love of God. But yet, God in his mercy hath quickened us together with Christ. Quickened means you've been born again. He is the one who quickened us together with Christ. And then he gives this parenthetical statement. He wants to stress it. He says, by grace, ye are saved. That's a salvation in itself. That's eternal salvation, that you've been secured for heaven. You've been saved from your just condemnation and perdition because of the kindness of the Lord. By grace, ye are saved. Amen. But notice he doesn't stop there. Go on in verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, how is it that God shows copious amounts of his kindness uh, that he has given us in Christ Jesus? He tells you in verse 8, For because by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What is your saving experience while you live here on the earth? You see, earlier he gave the parenthetical statement. He wanted you to realize, by grace you are saved. That means when you were dead in sins, he made you alive by making you quickened. Well, now he's added salvation on top of salvation. Now he's giving us a salvation that we experience and enjoy here on the earth. Before we go to heaven, before we see the resurrection day, we can still have great kindness of the Lord shown to us because he has given us something called faith. 
It's worked in us by the Holy Spirit of God. We trust in him. We love him. We long for God through that faith. And we're seeing God's wonderful, condescending kindness given to his people, that he has saved you and loved you. And your faith, your love for the Lord is all the evidence that you need, sinner friend, to realize that Jesus has inhabited your heart. Now, give him all of your mind. Give him all of your obedience. He owns your heart, and you'll never have a peaceful, fully fulfilled moment in your life until you come to confess Jesus Christ in repenting of your sins, take up your cross in baptism, follow him in the church, and disciple. Be his disciple. Oh, friends, now that you know how much kindness the Lord has shed upon you, now you go be long-suffering with great kindness to other people. Uh, go find somebody who's undeserving of kindness. Because when it comes down to it, we're all undeserving of kindness at the very root. Uh, go and find somebody and be kind to them. Be kind to them in the line at Walmart. Be kind unto them in traffic. Be kind unto them when they snarl at you for your political leanings. Love them. Be kind unto them. And friends, I'll tell you, that's true charity. That is the fullness of the love of God being exemplified when you're kind, just being long-suffering and kind. Now, continuing on in verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we read that charity envieth not. Uh-oh, that's hard for us, isn't it? Charity envieth not. It's not full of envy. You know, envy, jealousy, is purely self-centered. Therefore, it is directly contrary to genuine love. I mean, because after all, love is the divesting of goodwill towards others, right? Uh, you don't just sit all by yourself in love, just loving yourself. No, everybody talks about nowadays, you need to love yourself. I, I don't really love myself. I want to take care of myself. I want to rejoice that God loves myself. But me, I don't really love myself very much, but I'm commanded to love others. And I can fulfill that command through Jesus Christ. Love is the divesting of goodwill toward others. It takes others to truly, my friends, show that love the way we ought to, that agape love, that love in action. Just as the Lord chose to outwardly manifest his true love essence by creating the elect, his children, upon whom he could shower his love for all eternity. You see, God was all God needed to be when he was just God the Father, God the Word, God the Holy Spirit. Before the universe was created, before man was created, God was just as God as God could ever be. But God chose to show forth the wondrous beauty of his love essence by creating and by showering his love out upon that creation. God was under no compulsion to do so. He is sovereign after all. He answers to no one. He does that which pleases him according to his own will. Now, by the same token, we being created in his image, being created after the image of God, are obliged and commanded to divest of our love toward others. You see, we lost that capacity. When? When did we lose that capacity? We lost it when we fell in sin in Adam and we became the marred images of God. We became selfish, seeking our own good over the goodwill toward others. I'm telling you, friends, listening today, you mark my words and you remember this. Envy is a telltale sign of this dead nature. Just as a stink rising up from a corpse, it is a telltale sign of a dead human nature. 
It is envious. It is jealous. It seeks uh, what others have, their blessings and benefits. You want them for yourself. You want this for yourself. You want to make all you can while you can, can all you make and sit on the cans. You want it all to be about you. See, envy is one of the earliest signs of the fallen human condition. We see it in infants. They display it from the earliest cries and tantrums. We see envy. And as we get older, that envy may become a little more subtle, a little more quiet, a little more sophisticated. But you mark my words, friends. You believe me. And if you've ever experienced the envy of someone else at the job place or at home or, God forbid, even at the church house, at its core, it is the same old stink of a corpse. Notice in Proverbs 14.30, we read, A sound heart is the life of the flesh. That means a heart that is sound, it's healthy, it's the life of the flesh. That heart is seeking the good of others. It is seeking to honor the Lord first by doing good to others, but envy the rottenness of the bones. There's that stink of the corpse, friends. In James 4, 5, the question is asked, Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? See, that's us in our natural state. The way we are in our Adamic A-D-A-M-I-C, Adamic nature, we, my friends, there's that spirit of man that's in us, it lusteth to envy. We're prone to jealousy. We're driven to acquire so that we can show up other people. Go to Matthew chapter 20, and you'll see envy on display. Uh, It's the parable of the kingdom of heavens, like unto a man that is a householder, went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. He agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, sent them into the vineyard. Went out the third hour, he sent those people in. Uh, He went out again the sixth and the ninth hour. He did likewise. And then at the 11th hour, so typically we're looking at a 12-hour workday, and about the 11th hour, he went out, found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. Now, when it comes pay time, he started with the ones who entered the field last. He began with them first. And the people who are way down at the end of the pay line, they get to looking down there and they see, well, those people that have only been in the field for an hour, he gives them a penny. And that's what they agreed to. And so now they're probably getting happy. They said, oh, I tell you what, he gets a penny for working an hour? Undoubtedly, I'm going to get double, triple, quadruple that because now he must have changed his mind and now he's going to give us all more because obviously he's not going to give that one hour worker the same thing that he's going to give us. Oh, but what a surprise they had when he came down and he gave them the same thing. He gave them a penny and they were offended. They were offended at that. See, that's the nature of man. You know, if we're truly living in charity, charity which envieth not, we would have looked down that line at that person who worked one hour getting the exact same pay that I got, that I was satisfied with when I accepted the terms, mind you. But if I'm living in charity, I'm going to look down there at the end of that line and see that person who worked one meager hour get the full amount of pay. And I would say, oh, what a good man the master is that he is blessing this person. How blessed is this person? How one, I'm so happy for them. 
Look at what good is happening to them. Oh, they're going to get to go home with a full day's wage after an hour. Th their family's going to be surprised. They're going to have bread to eat. They're going to have fish to feed upon. Oh, our master is good, and this person is so blessed. I'm so happy for you. Way to go. But that's not our tendency, is it? No, our tendency is, oh, I'm certainly going to get more than them. Certainly, I'm more worthy than they are. You see, true charity will rejoice in the grace bestowed upon others. Our plenty or our lack notwithstanding, you see. It doesn't matter what happens to us. We can joy in others. You want to see a miserable person in this life? You see a person who's never satisfied with what they have. And I'll tell you, they may make a billion dollars. They'll be mad because they can't make $2 billion. They'll make $2 billion and they'll be mad because the, the uh, uh, corporation next door is making $4 billion. Oh, it just never ends. The horse leech hath two daughters crying, give, give. It never ends. Friends, how much better would this world be if we stopped basing our satisfaction on what other people have? How much better would the world be if we stopped making purchases, going into great debt, based on just trying to outdo someone else out of envy? How much better would the world be if we treated our coworkers as folks upon whom we shower love and encouragement, being part of a team, in it to win it? Teamwork makes the dream work, baby. How much better coworkers would we be if we had that attitude rather than looking at them and saying, I'll tell you what, if I do this and I do that, I can outmaneuver them for that job promotion. Oh, friends, how much better would the world be if we saw true wealth as having means to help other people? If that's true wealth, and according to the word of God, it is. True wealth is having means to help other people rather than selfishly seeing how much we can acquire just for the sake of acquisition. Lord, help us, right? But Lord, you have helped us. We who are under the sound of this message today and even this preacher who's giving the message, those who you have born again with your spirit, those who are a lover of God, those who are believers in Jesus Christ have every reason to rejoice today because we have in us to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. We have charity. Charity suffereth long and is kind, and charity envieth not. Go be charitable with somebody today. It's not going to be easy. They'll look at you. They'll give you the stink eye. Maybe they'll cuss you. Maybe, maybe they'll love it. Maybe they'll rejoice in it. But whether they do or whether they don't, I can tell you who does rejoice in it. Your Father in heaven, he'll rejoice in you imitating him. Until we're able to speak with you again on such wonderful, noble subjects. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist church in your area. Visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com 
to search for a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find additional contact information. This program is also available on iTunes under podcasts with the title, The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Baptist Radio Broadcast. If you enjoy our program, send us an email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. Come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 and tune in next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray that God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord.